This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Well, I'd encourage you to join me um, in your Bibles in Jeremiah chapter 9. Um, and I do want to say with the reading, I'm encouraged by those I've heard from who are keeping up with the reading. And I do hope it's been helpful. And also that as we've been doing this study that you've been able to begin to, as you're learning about Jeremiah, as you're learning about the nation of Judah in this time, that it's helping that reading be that much more rich. Uh, to where you're better understanding even what's going on and, and, and getting more out of God's word that way. That's, that's my primary desire here, is that this study would help you to really be able to engage with the truth of God's word personally. And so I, I hope that's been a help. I encourage you to, to keep it up, even if you're a little bit behind. Um, that's okay. Um, but uh, continue to... I, I want this to be leading to your own study. I don't want this to be an end in itself. I want this to be uh, to be encouraging you to be diving into God's word uh, on your own. Um, so we will be in Jeremiah chapter 9 tonight. We're also going to spend a decent amount of time in Jeremiah 20 a little bit later. Uh, we'll reference some other chapters as well. Um, but tonight's lesson is entitled Weeping Day and Night. And we'll be considering the heart of Jeremiah. Um, are you a crier? I mean, are you one of those people that you go through a box of tissues every time you watch a sad movie or you read a sad book? Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm a crier, but I can be a sympathetic crier. Uh, so I don't really cry very easily, but if you start crying, we might have a problem. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I hated how easily I cried. I felt like I was far too old to be crying over these little things that I was crying about, and it embarrassed me, and it, it bothered me. Um, but there are just some people like that who uh, they they're just criers. It doesn't take much for the tears to come. Uh, they're watching TV and the ASPCA commercial comes on with a puppy with sad <laughs> eyes, and they're done. All right. Well, you probably know that the prophet Jeremiah has a nickname. In fact, he's probably the only Old Testament prophet with a nickname that just about any Christian would recognize. He is known as the. The weeping prophet. The more we read of this book of Jeremiah, the more we'll find there's a good reason that he was given that epithet and that it stuck around. Uh, because he talks about crying a lot. We find him weeping again and again. And what was the name of the other book of the Bible that he wrote? Lamentations. <laughs> the Lamentations of <laughs> Jeremiah. All right. So what was his deal? Was Jeremiah just an an easy crier? Was he just an especially sensitive person? He was just really emotional? Well, you probably know, I'm sorry, well, if you read through the Bible the way it's laid out for us, which of course is not entirely chronological, um, you're actually going to come to the first reference to Jeremiah crying before you even get to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, it's back in the book of Second Chronicles. In Second Chronicles 35, Oh, I, I skipped ahead a little bit there with my slide. Sorry about that. In 2 Chronicles 35, Josiah is the king of Judah. And I've already mentioned this, this event, but Necho, the pharaoh of Egypt, comes up through Judah to fight the Assyrians in what would be called, what would be, be the Battle of Carchemish. All right, this is a picture of the Battle of Carchemish. Artist rendition, obviously. Uh, not a photograph. Um, but Egyptians came up to fight the Assyrians. But as they're coming through Judah, Josiah sends his army out, or brings his army out, to intercept the Egyptian army. And Pharaoh sends a messenger to Josiah, saying, What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I come not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. Forbear thee from meddling with God, who is with me, that he destroy thee not. And the Bible tells us that these words of Pharaoh were indeed from the mouth of God. But Josiah ignored them. He disguised himself and went into battle anyway. He was mortally wounded in the ensuing battle, and he died in Jerusalem. 
And 2 Chronicles 35 tells us in verse 24, And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. And then it says, And Jeremiah lamented for Josiah. And all the singing men and the singing women spake of Josiah in their lamentations to this day, and made them an ordinance in Israel. And behold, they are written in the lamentations. Now, we don't actually have a record of Jeremiah's lamentation over Josiah. But clearly, he was struck deeply by that loss. When Josiah died, Jeremiah's sorrow over it was significant enough that those who were chronicling the history pointed it out specifically. Now think about it. We we don't know exactly how close Jeremiah and King Josiah were, but they were likely just about the same age. They were both likely young men in their mid-twenties when the book of the law was rediscovered in the temple. Um, At that point, no doubt, they were both full of youthful enthusiasm, uh, maybe a bit of naivety. They were both uh, had hearts that genuinely desired to please God, and they were ready to take on the world. And no doubt, they were a great encouragement to, uh, to each other. The young king and the young prophet even if they only knew each other from afar, no doubt they encouraged each other. But it's not hard to imagine a deep relationship forming between the two men, much like it had between prophets and godly kings in the past. You think of Nathan and David. There was a close relationship there. You think of Isaiah and Hezekiah, a close relationship. Very likely, very possibly, the same was true of Jeremiah and Josiah. And now, when Josiah and Jeremiah are nearly 40 years old, both a little bit older and a little bit wiser, Josiah makes a very unwise decision, and he's dead. And Jeremiah is heartbroken by this loss, likely both as a personal loss and as a loss to the nation. And so he weeps. And as we'll find... Josiah's death might have been Jeremiah's first time suffering deep heartbreak over what was going on around him. But even if it was the first, it was certainly not the last. And it was not that Jeremiah was just an easy crier. It's not just that he was a sensitive person. Jeremiah had some significant things to cry about. So as we consider Jeremiah's heart tonight, we're going to start by looking at his sorrowful heart. Why did Jeremiah cry? Well, we saw the bit about Josiah, but that part doesn't even make it into the book of Jeremiah. So what is he crying about here? Well, join me in Jeremiah 9. And um, just quickly, as we enter Jeremiah 9, we want to ask ourselves, where do we find ourselves in Jeremiah's life? Where do we find ourselves in the timeline here? Uh, As I've mentioned, it's a little bit hard to know with these first chapters of the book, but likely this is either the reign of Josiah or that of Jehoiakim, when we get to Jeremiah 9. um, People would disagree on exactly where it falls, but it does seem to be a continuation of the sermon begun in Jeremiah 7 that we considered last week, and so it likely falls in the same area chronologically. So this is on the earlier side of Jeremiah's ministry, either under Josiah or under Jehoiakim. Here, in the first verse of Jeremiah 9, Jeremiah uses language that rivals anything else we find in this book in the complete and utter heartbreak that he expresses. Uh, To get the full effect, I want to actually back up into chapter 8, verse 21, and pick up there. Jeremiah says, For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. I am black. Astonishment hath taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Oh, that my head were waters, and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. We see that Jeremiah's sorrow was deep. His tears are many. And we also see one of the reasons he wept. Jeremiah wept for judgment. As a prophet of God... Jeremiah bore a unique burden. In the verses we read, Jeremiah is referring to the hurt of his people, to their need for healing, to the fact that they're slain, 
But he's referring not to events that have already happened. He's actually referring to what is coming. Jeremiah bears a heavy burden as he sees the horror that is coming on Judah. It makes sense to me that both Jeremiah and the prophet Habakkuk would use the term, they would refer to the prophetic visions they received as a burden. They talk about the burden they received from the Lord. We, we often think about maybe the cool side of being a prophet, and you get the, the, the inside scoop on what's coming, and you, know, you get to know about things before other people. But consider what a burden that would be. In a, a ministry like Jeremiah's, where those things you see coming are this sort of destruction, and all the death, and all the sorrow that is coming. And as God works through and speaks through Jeremiah, he comes to see what is coming, and, and it horrifies him, and it breaks his heart. In verse 10 of Jeremiah 9, he says, For the mountains will I take up a weeping and wailing, and for the habitations of the wilderness a lamentation, because they are burned up so that none can pass through them. Neither can men hear the voice of the cattle. Both the fowl of the heavens and the beast are fled. They are gone. Again, he's looking forward, but he's seeing, he's weeping even for the land itself, considering the desolation, the destruction that are coming. And Jeremiah knows that his people deserve what is coming for their sin, but he's also heartbroken to the point of tears over the fate that awaits them. I don't think I need to say very much for us to understand the challenge that this is to us. Destruction was coming on Jeremiah's people, and he wept. They were facing judgment that they deeply deserved, and he cried for them. When was the last time that you cried for someone you know who is facing judgment? Either eternal judgment as a consequence of their, of their sin, or the consequences of their sinful choices here on earth. When was the last time we wept over that? When was the last time that I wept over that? This is a challenge to me. Jeremiah realizes what's coming and it breaks his heart. But Jeremiah didn't just weep because he saw the judgment that was coming. He also wept for sin. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 9, it can seem like You've got verse 1, and Jeremiah is talking about weeping day and night, and then it, seems, it can almost seem like he makes a swift change in tone in verse 2, when he says, Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they be all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. He goes on, God goes on to share the issue that is at the heart of Judah's sin. It's a lack of truth. Uh, they're liars, they take advantage of each other, they slander each other, they have no concern for God's truth. And God says in verse 9, Shall I not visit them for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? But I actually don't think that verse 2 is a change of tone from verse 1. Jeremiah bemoans the destruction of his people in verse 1. Then in verse 2, he turns to bemoan the thing bringing that destruction on them, their sin. He talks about getting out because he loathes the sin that is pulling his people down. Jeremiah didn't just weep over the consequences of his people's sin. He wept over their sin itself. He, he looked at the wickedness and brokenness around him, and it broke his heart. He saw a nation that should have been enthusiastically worshiping and obeying God, and they're turning instead to their own fleshly and selfish ways. He saw a people who should have cherished the truth of God, trampling it underfoot like so much trash. And Jeremiah wept over that sin. And again... 
the, the application comes forcefully to me. What about us? We're quick to notice sin in the lives of other people. We're even quick to condemn sin in the lives of other people, at least inwardly. But how often do we weep over the sinful state of our nation? Over the sinful lives of our neighbors and our family members? How often do we weep over our own sin? When we, when we see the sin that surrounds us, when we see the sin of our own hearts, does that break our hearts? Does that cause us to weep? It, it did for Jeremiah. He wept for the judgment. He wept for sin. He also wept for indifference. We see this illustrated in, to some degree in verses 17 through 22 of this chapter. He calls on the people in those verses to start weeping over their own state. So basically he's saying, I'm weeping about what's going on. You need to be weeping over this too. Um, he tells them to hire mourners, to encourage each other, to lament over what is coming. And the suggestion there is that the people are not mourning. They are not taking this seriously. They're indifferent. Jeremiah has told them what's coming, and, that they're, and, and, and yet they're still just going on about their daily lives, as if this that I'm experiencing now is going to go on forever. I don't have anything to worry about in the future. That's the way the people are living. Jeremiah is calling them to see that what he's prophesying is true, and they need to lament, they need to mourn, they need to weep over their own state and what they're headed towards. But instead, they are they're indifferent towards God and the things of God. There's a more striking example um, of, Jesus, uh, of Jeremiah weeping over the people's indifference in chapter 13. There, in verses 15 through 17, Jeremiah says, Hear ye, and give ear. Be not proud, for the Lord hath spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he cause darkness, and before your feet stumble upon the dark mountains. And while ye look for light, he turn it into the shadow of death and make it gross darkness. So what he's saying as he, in, in these, this first part here, he's pleading with them. Listen to what God has to say. Respond to the message of God while you have a chance. Respond to the light before it's all complete darkness. But then he goes on to say, But if ye will not hear it, my soul shall weep in secret places for your pride. And mine eyes shall weep sore and run down with tears because the Lord's flock is carried away captive. Jeremiah is holding out to them. He's saying, you have an opportunity. You still have a chance to respond. But he says, if you don't, then I am going to weep over what is coming, over the destruction that you're going to face. He is brokenhearted over the fact that he's calling out to them to hear, but he knows, even now, they're not going to heed the message. He says you have a chance to respond, but he knows that instead they're not going to. They're going to ignore what God has to say. In chapter 4, verses 19 through 22, Jeremiah cries, My bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace, because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war, Destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is spoiled. Suddenly are my tents spoiled and my curtains in a moment. How long shall I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? So here he's, he's saying, I'm, I'm weeping, I'm mourning because I see the war that is coming. I see the armies that are coming. I see what's going to happen to the land. But then he says, for my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sottish children. They have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. Again, he's, he's seeing prophetically what is coming, and yet he's saying, here's the state of the people. He's giving clear warnings, and yet they are foolish. They have no understanding. They're only wise in doing evil. Like many other passages like this, it's actually a bit hard to tell where God is speaking and where Jeremiah is speaking. But you get the idea. 
And I think this is one of the places that, that shows us that, that God's heart and Jeremiah's heart were in the same place when it came to these things. Jeremiah, like God, was heartbroken to see how indifferent the people were to God's word. They cared nothing for Jeremiah's warnings. They cared nothing for God's expectations. They just wanted to carry on their lives in their own little ways and not be bothered with Jeremiah's inconvenient preaching. And Jeremiah wept. And finally, we also find him weeping for separation. In verses 25 and 26 of Jeremiah 9, Jeremiah says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will punish all them which are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Egypt and Judah and Edom and the children of Ammon and Moab and all that are in the uttermost, cor uh, utmost corners that dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. Now, it's not easy for us in our modern non-Jewish setting to consider how jarring these words would have been to any devout Jews in Jeremiah's day. God in these verses, puts Judah in a list with Egypt, Edom, Ammon, and Moab. He lumps his chosen people together with the unclean, uncircumcised nations that surrounded them. He says that at heart, they are no different from these pagan nations, and that he is going to treat them just the same. Judah is going to be the recipient of God's fierce anger just like the Gentile nations that surround them. God is turning his back on his covenant people, no longer holding them specially back from destruction. And for this too, Jeremiah weeps. So why was Jeremiah such a crier? Well, he was crying over the judgment his people faced, over their unrepentant sin, over their indifference towards God and his judgment, towards this, uh, over the separation that they, that they faced from God and his blessing, Jeremiah had compelling reasons to weep. And honestly, as I consider this chapter, I think the question is not really why did Jeremiah weep so much, but why do we weep so little? God help us to be more like Jeremiah. He recognized clearly the things that were going on in his nation over which he needed to weep. So Jeremiah's was clearly a sorrowful heart. But we also find in this book that his was a wavering heart. Join me please now in Jeremiah 20. And as we transition from Jeremiah 9 to Jeremiah 20, we're also going forward in time. Um, perhaps as much as 20 or 25 years. Again, it's hard to say exactly when Jeremiah 9 fell. It's hard to say exactly where Jeremiah 20 falls. But Jeremiah is now likely a man of at least 45 years old. When we get to Jeremiah 20, he has ministered under Josiah. He has endured either some or all of 11 years under the wicked king Jehoiakim. At this point, Babylon has risen to power and is beginning to exert power over Judah and other nations. And as Jeremiah speaks the words of Jeremiah 20, either Jehoiakim or Zedekiah is likely on the throne of Judah. Now with that background, the chapter actually starts by recounting a highly discouraging episode in Jeremiah's own life. Um, Pasher, who we are told was the chief governor of the temple, heard Jeremiah's message and was very unimpressed. He seizes Jeremiah, he beats him, he has him put in the stocks next to the gate near the temple, and he's left there for a day. <coughs> What a humbling and discouraging experience that would be. Now, I don't know exactly what the stocks would have looked like, um, but the idea would have been the same as you'd see in Colonial Williamsburg. All right, Might not have been constructed just the same way, but the idea is stocks are supposed to be uncomfortable and they're supposed to be humiliating. Making you a gazing stock for people to realize 
that person did something wrong. And there Jeremiah is in the stocks all day, after being beaten, right next to the temple. I don't know, but maybe next to the gate at which he had preached God's word faithfully. And now here he is in the stocks, made a laughing stock of the people. But despite the ordeal he has undergone, when Pasher lets him go the next day, Jeremiah stays bold. He doesn't just sneak away after Pasher lets him go. He actually preaches a a message right there, uh, proclaiming God's judgment on the land and on Pasher personally. He speaks the word of God straight to Pasher's face, right after being let out of the stocks, knowing that this guy has the power to do it again. And you might say, wow, that's, that's the boldness we were talking about last week. Uh, Jeremiah is unstoppable. You just can't get him down. It doesn't matter what you do to Jeremiah. He stays encouraged. He stays strong. But after he finishes his conversation with Pasher, Jeremiah turns and talks to God. And we get a really interesting window into Jeremiah's heart. We find here that he was weary. In verse 7, he says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me, and a derision daily. Jeremiah speaks strong words to God. He accuses God of deceiving him, likely suggesting that Jeremiah had no idea what he was getting into into when he submitted to God's call to be a prophet. Um, He accuses God of tricking him. He says that God has overpowered him, suggesting that God is making him do things he doesn't want to do. What could cause a man like Jeremiah, who so clearly cared so much for God and his truth, to say words like that to God? Well, you can only take so much criticism before it really begins to wear on you. And Jeremiah may be using hyperbole here, but he says he is in derision daily. And everyone mocketh me, he says. In other words, at least from Jeremiah's perspective, every day, Jeremiah goes out to proclaim God's word. And every day, all the people, figuratively, if not literally, laugh in his face. That would get really old. And after something like 25 years of ministry, Jeremiah was weary. But he goes beyond that. He was discouraged. In fact, discouraged is a weak word to use here. Jeremiah was on the verge of despair. Consider the words he uses in Jeremiah 20, verses 14 through 18. He says, Cursed be the day wherein I was born. Let not the day wherein my mother bare me be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought tidings to my father, saying, A man-child is born unto thee, making him very glad. And let that man be as the cities which the Lord overthrew and repented not. And let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noontide, because he slew me not from the womb, or that my mother might have been my grave, and her womb to be always great with me. Wherefore came I forth out of the womb to see labor and sorrow, that my days should be consumed with shame." Those words, as we were reminded recently, are reminiscent of Job's in Job chapter 3. Jeremiah finds himself saying, if this is all there is, why could God not have been merciful and let me never be born? That's how low Jeremiah has come. He has ministered faithfully for decades, only to face ever-increasing opposition. And things seem only to be getting worse. And no one seems to be listening. And Jeremiah is tired. He's overwhelmed. He's become so discouraged that he's begun to wish he had never lived. 
And I share all that to remind us that Jeremiah was a man subject to like passions as you and I. He too got discouraged and downhearted. He too doubted God's plan. He too had times when he simply wanted to give up. Even with all his Christ-likeness, Jeremiah knew what it was like to lose heart, to find all the pressures of his life too much for him to bear. Even a faithful servant of God sometimes suffers setbacks. I have long been fascinated and challenged by the life of Adoniram Judson. He was the first Baptist missionary. Um, He actually became a Baptist on the boat ride over to Burma as a missionary. Interesting story there. But um, he arrived in Burma in 1813, and he accomplished much for God while he was there. He translated the whole Bible into Burmese, um, which was quite the undertaking because before he could do that, he actually had to create a Burmese dictionary. Nobody had codified the language to that point, and so he had to do that part, and then he translated the whole Bible into Burmese, a translation that actually is still being used by, by believers today. But he did much for the Lord, but there was one point in his life. After his wife died, his baby daughter died, and then he found out from afar that his father had also died. Where Adoniram just became overwhelmed with loss, he faced doubt over the work he was doing. He began to wonder whether or not his motivation was pure, whether or not he was just doing all this for the glory instead of doing it for, for the Lord. He withdrew from the society of other missionaries. There was a time where he lived alone in the jungle. He, he dug a grave and just sat there and contemplated death. And there was a time in his life where he, he really struggled with despair. Um, on the brink of just totally throwing in the towel. And it was only after a long period of wrestling with God, and God specifically used the encouragement of hearing, again from afar, that his brother had gotten saved right before he died, that Adoniram returned to his ministry and once again began to pour himself into the work of translating the Bible. But there came a time in Adoniram's life where he felt like it was over. And I praise the Lord that was not the end for Adoniram Judson. And in Jeremiah 20, verse 18, that was not the end for Jeremiah. But we need to understand that Jeremiah knew what it was to have a sorrowful heart. He knew what it was to have a wavering heart. But he also knew what it was to have a passionate heart. When Jeremiah faced the discouragement we talked about in chapter 20, he said in verse 9, Then said I, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Jeremiah had a heart on fire. Even when discouragement came and he was tempted to just stop speaking for God, just to fade into the shadows, to let his voice no longer be heard, he found that he could not be silent because God's word was in his heart. And I I love the figure of speech that he uses here. It was like a fire in his bones. What a striking phrase. It was something he could not fight against. It was something that he could not suppress. Have you ever tried to hide a fire? Well, Jesus talked about that idea. In Mark 4, he asked, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? We've heard this passage before. Um, You don't light light a candle and then try to hide it. If you try to hide the fire, one of two things is going to happen. Either it's going to go out, or it's going to get out. (laughs) 
So if you put a candle under a basket, um, either the basket's going to suffocate the flame or the fire is going to take uh, possession of the basket and bye-bye basket. But we get the idea. You can't, you can't just take the fire and say, okay, we're going to hide this away for a little while. And Jeremiah used that as a, as a picture of what was going on in his heart. He felt the fire of God's word burning inside him. He knew he couldn't just sit. It didn't matter how hard it got. It didn't matter how discouraged he became. It didn't matter that nobody was listening. He could not sit still. He could not hold back. He had to speak the word of God. Jeremiah was passionate about the word of God. In Jeremiah 15, 16, he calls God's word the joy and rejoicing of my heart. In Jeremiah 6.10, he says that he is full of the fury of the Lord. He says he's weary with holding in. Now again, that's one of those passages that it's hard to tell if this is Jeremiah speaking or God speaking, but you get the idea. Jeremiah's heart burned with passion for God and his word. It was, and it was in large part, I believe, that passion that helped bring Jeremiah back up out of his despair. It was the fact that there was something in his heart that was stronger than the discouragement, that was stronger than the temptation to despair. His heart burned with a desire to make God's word known. What is the joy and rejoicing of my heart? What is it that you and I just can't help sharing with others? Uh, how many of us can say that if we stopped trying to speak in God's name, that his word would be in our hearts like a fire shut up in our bones? How many of us could say that that is true of our hearts when it comes to God and his word? We understand the idea of something that, that you just can't help sharing with others. You think about a, a couple right after they get engaged. And how is that woman going to enter every room? It's going to be this finger first, right? <laughs> Got to make sure that everybody knows. Got to make sure that everybody sees that ring. That, just so excited that it doesn't matter if this is a complete stranger. I'm going to do everything I can to let them know we're engaged. We about five months ago, had a new baby. And I find myself, when we have a new baby, just random people, when I'm talking to them, I'm just going to somehow slip that into the conversation. <laughs> I'm going to let them know that I've, I've, about my baby daughter. There are things like that that it's, it's just a passion of our hearts. It's something that's so important to us that we're so excited about that we're just going to share it every opportunity we get. And even some of the opportunities we don't get, we're going we're to share it anyway. And that was Jeremiah's heart when it came to God's word. We also find another key to Jeremiah's resilience. Um, the fact that he was able to continue even when he... He got to such a low point that he got to in Jeremiah 20. And that is that he had a confident heart. Again, here in Jeremiah 20, Jeremiah reflects on the opposition he faces in verse 10. He says, For I heard the defaming of many, fear on every side. Report, say they, and we will report it. All my familiars watched for my halting, saying, Peradventure he will be enticed, and we shall prevail against him, and we shall take our revenge on him. He said, all the people that know me, um, there's another passage that talks about the inhabitants of Anathoth, where Jeremiah was from, specifically conspiring against him. His own neighbors, potentially members of his own family, are just looking for an opportunity to attack Jeremiah. And that certainly reminds me of Jesus. Um, they were always looking for an opportunity to, to get him, to catch him, to try to try to catch the wrong word, or, or him saying or doing something that they could, they could latch on to. And that was their attitude towards Jeremiah. But then Jeremiah says in verse 11, But the Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore my persecutors shall stumble, and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, that trieth the righteous... 
and seest the reins in the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them. For unto thee have I opened my cause. Sing unto the Lord, praise ye the Lord, for he hath delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of evildoers. Jeremiah trusted God. He trusted God never to leave him, which after all God had promised back in chapter 1. He trusted God for vengeance on his enemies, just like David did with Saul. He trusted God for deliverance. Jeremiah trusted God that God would take care of what he could not. Back in Jeremiah 9, in what is likely a, a familiar passage to many of you, God says through Jeremiah in verse 23, Jeremiah 9, 23, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. And that, it appears, is exactly what the people of Judah had been doing. But God says in the next verse, But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. That's Jeremiah. He understood and knew God. He exercised the things in which God delighted. He was confident in God, and his confidence was not misplaced. Over and over again, we find Jeremiah standing for God. His feet are firmly planted on the promises of God, while seemingly the whole nation around him stumbles in the mire of their own opinions and their own desires. And here's Jeremiah standing on the rock. Jeremiah's passion for the word of God and his confidence in the person of God carried him through much more ridicule, opposition, and suffering than most of us even care to imagine. There are multiple times in Jeremiah's prophecy where he reminds the people of Judah that God sees the heart. There's an especially familiar passage in Jeremiah 17. In verse 9, God says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Then he says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah, was letting the people know that he saw their wicked hearts. He saw their sinful ways. And he would reward them accordingly. But God also saw the heart of Jeremiah. Imperfect, wavering, but it was a tender heart. It was a heart that was passionate for God. It was a heart that was seeking to trust God and to weep with God over the sad state of his people. And I believe that when God looked at Jeremiah's heart, he was pleased. Last week we considered the boldness of Jeremiah's preaching. And this week, we've considered the heart that allowed Jeremiah to preach such bold messages in the right way. And again this week, I, I want to share another quote from F.B. Meyer's book on Jeremiah. He says this of Jeremiah's tears. He says, we need more of this. Nothing is so terrible as to utter God's threatenings against sin, which are predictions of its natural and inevitable outworking with no sign of anguish or regret. If we are called to speak of judgment to come, it should be after hours of solitary prayer, weeping, and soul travail. It is only in proportion as we have felt for sinners that we can warn them. It is only in so far as we have known the Savior's pity that we can dare to take up the woes he pronounced against Pharisee and Sadducee or threaten the fate which he so clearly and awfully denounced. So where is your heart? Where is my heart today? As the church of Ephesus reminds us in Revelation 2, we can do all the right things without the right heart. We can appear right in every way without actually sharing God's heart. Are you weeping over the things that cause God to weep? 
Does your heart burn with passion to share God's word? Do you find your complete confidence in God and his presence? Do you find your way back even from the brink of despair because of the passion and confidence you have in God? I think just like last week, we see much of Christ in Jeremiah. Jesus, too, mourned over the state of his people. He, too, showed the fire of his passion for God. And over and over and over again, he reiterated his confidence in the Father. Perhaps nowhere else so touching as in the garden before his crucifixion. If you and I are going to be faithful servants of God, enduring in that which he has led us to do, we need hearts like this. Hearts like Jeremiah's. Tender, passionate, and steadfast in God. I want to take a moment, if you have um, questions or, or comments at this point, for just a couple of closing things. Any questions or comments tonight? Jeremiah certainly had to embrace that truth. He, he wasn't finding his glory in, in any of those things. Nobody was patting him on the back and saying, you know, Jeremiah, you're a great preacher. Um, and uh, so his glory had to come in, in knowing the Lord. But uh, we do face the temptation. So many of us do have people there to pat us on the back and tell us, you know, good job, you're, you're, you're great, you're smart, you're doing well. You're, um, and, and, and we have to find that our, that's not our, that's not the source of any of that. Yes, sir? I think it's no different today than it was back in Jeremiah's day. God is weaker for each of us to follow him. Absolutely. No, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I, uh, it's, it's a lot easier to get angry than it is to weep, and we need a lot more weeping and a lot less getting angry. I think. And I, I want to be clear tonight that I, I don't want any of this to come off to say that. You know, I've, I've arrived, I've figured this out, this is where my heart is, and I spend hours weeping over the state of our nation. Or um, This has been highly convicting to me, studying and considering these things. Because this is, this is not a reflection of my heart, and it needs to be. All right. Well, this week, I um, did want to just draw your attention to the, the reading for this week, Jeremiah 13 through 18. Um, also, I did want to mention, there was one source I intended to, to include down at the bottom um, that I didn't, and that is this book right here. Uh, this is an older copy of it. There's a newer, a newer one that's a paperback, but it's called To the Golden Shore. Um, it's The Life of Adoniram Judson. And that's, that's where the information came for the, the story that I shared. But um, I, I don't think I can recommend this book too highly. Um, not so much because the, the writing is just 
perfect and it's, it's the most inspired writing I've ever read in my life. But because of the life of the man, um, it, his life is inspiring. The things that we see God doing through him. Uh, the, the story that I shared tonight is just a small, um, a small excerpt, a small example of um, just you, you see the humanness of the man, but you also see how God used him in such powerful ways. So it's, it's To the Golden Shore. Um, it's by Courtney Anderson, and it's The Life of Adoniram Judson. Um, I, I love to read missionary biographies, but I don't know that there's been one that has um, touched me as deeply as that one has. Uh, next Wednesday, we're going to consider together what I think is one of the most precious takeaways from Jeremiah, Jeremiah's life. We're going to consider his prayer life and how his relationship with God was such an integral part of who he was and how that relationship sustained him. And so I, um, I, I think it's going to be really uh, challenging for us, really helpful, and really uh, touch our hearts about the closeness that Jeremiah had with God. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Our Father, I thank you for the example of Jeremiah in this matter. Thank you for the heart that he had for you. Thank you for his transparency and honesty about the struggles that he faced. That he faced discouragement and despair uh, to a greater level than I ever have in my life. But that even there, you sustained him. Even there, his trust in you, his passion for you, uh, brought him back to the place where he continued to faithfully serve for years, uh, even beyond that point. I thank you for the example of his tears. And I pray that you would help me and each of us to weep more over the right things, over the things that cause you to weep. Help us to be filled with a passion for you and your word so that your word truly is in us like a, a fire in our bones that we just have to share it. And help all of our lives to be marked by a deep and abiding confidence in you. Help us be faithful servants like Jeremiah because our hearts are where they need to be. Guide us in this, we pray. Help us as we uh, dig into your word this week uh, to glean from it what you'd have us to, that this would not just be a mental exercise, but this would be something that would change our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.